Our scripture reading this morning is on page 9 of your worship folder or in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15, and Mark 2, verses 23 through 25. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may have rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And in Mark, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrea. It's good to be here. Um, first, I'll just have a qualifying statement. Sometimes when people preach because they stand on a platform and wear one of these, um, people can think higher of them than what is actually true. Uh, I, too, am just a fellow apprentice of Jesus, just trying to figure things out. Um, so hear that first. Um, so when I was considering what I wanted to preach on this week, um, this was very selfish of me to pick this sermon. Um, it's something that we've been thinking about as a family, about rest and what does Sabbath look like um, for us and our family. Um, and that comes out of a really busy season that we've just had. I've recently run a senior minister's retreat where I was away for a few days in the city. Um, and then last weekend we had an event, which thank you all for praying for, called State Youth Games. Uh, for those that don't know what State Youth Games is, basically we take 1,200 people down to Bunbury, we play 60 tournaments of sport, and we shove them into every school and floor that we can find them to sleep over the four days. Um, but it's a time for churches to come down and be together and to build community and just have a great time playing sport and being together. So we had that last week, and it was full on, but it was great. I think everyone comes back super exhausted. So coming out of this really busy season, I was, Brooke and I have been chatting about what does rest look like? What does Sabbath look like for our family? So we're going to get into this, but I'm just going to pray for us before we get going. 
Dear God, we just pray that this sermon is from you. Uh, anything that's not of you, Lord, let it go away. Let us not remember it. We just pray that uh, your words and the things that need to stick into our hearts uh, or the meanings that need to live there, uh, we take on today. Anything else, let it not, not stay. Let it go away. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may keep hearing this term Sabbath and going, what is Sabbath? Um, so Sabbath or Shabbat uh, is a Hebrew verb which means cease or rest. I love that it's a verb because for those people that love English, they know a verb is a doing word. It's not just something that exists over here. It's something that we do. It's the seventh day of the Jewish week, and it is the day of rest and abstention from work as commanded by God. Shabbat involves two interrelated commandments to remember to remember to contemplate God's goodness and what he's done for us and how uh, he impacts our life regularly and to observe and when I think of observe I go oh what other days do we observe in our life what can we take and go oh yeah we observe that and probably the biggest one that stands out is Christmas that we observe Christmas, that, that we have a plan, that, that we invite people over, that, that we know what we're going to do on Christmas Day. Anzac Day we've just had recently. We, there's something that we observe. There's something that we remember in those times. So when we hear about the Sabbath, it's something that not only do we need to remember God's goodness, but we also need to observe. It's a 24-hour period in which we stop we rest, we delight, and we contemplate God's goodness in our lives. For me, in kind of the hustle and bustle of life, to try to figure out how do I stop for 24 hours is a pretty foreign concept. It's not something I ever practiced growing up. Uh, it's not something that happened in our family. We had days off here and there, but but. I've always been a super busy person. You see, I can quickly fall into this place of consumerism, if you want to call it that, where I do more so that I get more stuff. Maybe it's money, maybe it's things, so that people will think more of me. I do more to get more so people think more of me. And if I'm being honest, those people that think more of me, sometimes I don't even care who those people are. I don't even have a relationship with them, and I want them to think higher of me. And I've also done this with God, too. See, I do more for God so that I get more from God. Maybe it's speaking engagements. Maybe it's fulfillment in some areas. Maybe it's some knowledge. Some of that's good. But so that God might think more of me. You see how backwards that is? There's a great trap in ministry, uh, any of you that have worked in ministry before, and it's something you constantly have to fight against in ministry, that idea of doing for God rather than being with God. So an attempt to kind of fight against this uh, I've been thinking through what spiritual disciplines can I bring in into my life 
and being just like you, another uh, apprentice of Jesus and trying to follow as closely to what Jesus has taught, uh, we've landed on the Sabbath. That this is something that we want to start and we want to go, go down. And, and I'm always thinking about how can we be more healthy? How can we be more healthy spiritually? How can we be more healthy emotionally? How can we be more healthy physically? And for me, kind of being a part of this church and getting to step in on a pastoral role, I want to be healthy because I want to be able to share what, what I've learned and what I've gained. But I don't have it all. I want to be able to go to Angus and go, Angus, I see you do this and, and there's some beauty in there. How can I learn from you? If maybe I go to Nathan and go, Nathan, this is great. You, you have such an inquisitive mind for God. I want more of that from you. That the better we are healthy as a community, the better that we can step into this place of rest and understanding God on a deeper level, the more that we can get healthy as a community and learn from each other. So in my thinking of how can we be more healthy as a family, how can we slow down, how can we rest in God's goodness, I started reading a book of someone that's further down the line from me. He's a pastor in America uh, in a place in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and I just finished the book actually this week. Uh, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. And I just want to read you the preview so you kind of get a feel uh, for what this book is about. He first starts by talking about a guy named Dallas Willard. Uh, if you don't know who Dallas Willard is, he's an American philosopher, uh, huge in the Christian formation kind of space. So he says this in his kind of preview to his book. Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And then John Mark Comer, speaking about himself, says, I live in one of the most secular post-Christian cities in our nation. And the longer I'm here, the more convinced I become that he's right. Hurry is the issue under all the other issues. The root cause beneath so much of the anger and anxiety of our cultural moment. And followers of Jesus are not immune to cultural pain. Many of us living with low-grade fatigue and chronic anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. We careen through our days at breakneck speed and wonder where God is in the fray. The reality is most of us are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant life. Hurry is incompatible with the way of Jesus. The love, joy, and peace that forms the nucleus of Jesus' kingdom are all impossible in a life of speed. We must, as Willard went on to say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Do we agree with that? Regardless of whether or not you agree with it, it's an interesting premise. I talk to a lot of people with uh, work, and I get around to a lot of people, and I often ask a pretty basic question at the start. Hey, how are you going? And probably the most two common responses I get are good or busy. Busyness seems to be an epidemic in our society. We feel the urge to constantly fill our lives with things. 
And don't get me wrong, there's something beautiful about living a full and vibrant life. But we love to be busy or we create this for ourselves. That same guy that John Mark Comer uh, talked about, Dallas Willard, he was once uh, asked, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what word would that be? And, and, and he stopped for a second and he thought, and he answered, relaxed. Usually I think the typical Christian answer would be love, but, so he probably got that one wrong, but he said relaxed. I don't love that answer, to be honest, because for me, I, this busyness side of me goes, oh man, he could have accomplished so much more if he wasn't relaxed, if he just went for it. Or think about that about yourself. If someone described you as relaxed, what would that make you feel like? For me, I would assume people think I'm lazy. Oh, I'm relaxed. But we see God walking. If we read through about Jesus, we see Jesus walking at slow paces of rest. I was reading through quite a few different Bible stories about Jesus to try to see if I could put together what Willard was saying. And when Jesus heard of his friend Lazarus, that he was dying, um, that he was sick and he was dying, if you read the text, we know what the next thing says. So Jesus hurried off to go see him. No. It says Jesus spent two more days there, and then he decided to go off to see him. Oh, your friend's sick and dying. Okay. Yep, we'll go when we're ready. There's another story of Jairus who, who has a daughter that's dying, and she, he finds Jesus and is trying to bring him to his home. And Jesus walks slowly there. As he's on the way, someone else comes to get healing from him. If I'm Jairus, I'm probably fuming because I'm like, okay, I know that person needs help too, but you were coming this way first, so let's go this way. And then you can deal with that after. Jesus often retreated away from the crowd just to have one-on-one -on -one time uh, with his uh, heavenly father. There's one story um, where Jesus was away for so long that the disciples actually went on without him. He was supposed to be meeting them uh, at a lake, and they, they got on the water, and it said they went out three to four miles, and that's where we get the infamous Jesus walking on water scene, that the disciples just went on without him because Jesus walked at a slow pace. There's a book called Three Mile Per Hour God, uh, and Kasuki Koyama says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technolo technological speed to which we are accustomed. So if the, if the hypothesis is true that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life for our day, and if Jesus was relaxed and walked slowly, maybe there's something that we can learn from this. 
maybe there's something more to this concept than just, oh, Sabbath was good back in the day, but it's not for us now. I think it's actually a fight against what culture tells us to do. So if we look at Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, we see again, right at the start, observe, kind of prepare for, get ready, get excited, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does holy mean? If I can boil this down in any Greek um, person that studied Greek knows that there's way more to holy than what I'm going to boil it down to, so I apologize. But if we could just think of holy as set apart. So we want to observe this day because it is set apart by God. It is holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters, or your male servants or your female servants, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates, that your male servants and female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath. It's one of the only uh, great commandments that also has, uh, or one of the Ten Commandments that also has um, some information attached to it, some qualifiers. God's going, don't you remember? We just saved you from Egypt. This is good for you. This is something that we want, I want you to do. That we want to observe it. We want to keep it holy. So what's going on for you internally right now? Maybe it's the story that's going on in your head or in your heart. What initially comes up in your mind when you hear uh, taking 24 hours out of your week? If your mind was like mine, it goes, I can't find 24 hours. I don't know how I can fit that 24 hours in amongst all the other things that I have. And then this verse caught me off guard while I was thinking that. Genesis 2-3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, yet again set apart, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. I don't know if God actually needed to rest. But often when we talk about the creation story, we like to paint all the pictures of things God created. He created the earth. He created the sun. He created the land. He created the animals. He created people. We don't talk about the seventh day where he created rest. That every day he created something, but the seventh day he created rest and set it apart, called it holy. The God of the universe took rest. We already talked about how Jesus walked slowly. The guy took 30 years 
to prepare for his ministry. We call Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. So if he is the way, we should probably take a look at the things that he did. Because those are an example of a way that we should follow. So when I said I was thinking about preaching this, um, it was probably a little bit more than that. I've just been doing this book by John Mark Comer, talked a lot about the Sabbath. I've been talking to a lot of colleagues about the Sabbath. All right? I've been praying about the Sabbath. I decide to do this sermon on the Sabbath. And then I go to a PD, a professional development that my Church of Christ work has prepared months ago. And guess what the guy's preaching or teaching on that day? Sabbath. I don't know if this is for you or it's for me. <laughs> And I was listening to this guy uh, from the Irresistible Church Network, a guy named Jason uh, Perkins or Perko. And when asked, what do you do for Sabbath? What does it actually look like for you? He said these four things. If you're a note taker, I didn't come up with these, so it's probably good to take notes on this. He said, one, stop. That consists of stopping of any paid or unpaid work for 24 hours. You see, sometimes we stop working our job, but then we work once we get home. There's dishes, there's laundry, there's cutting the grass. So it's just stop for 24 hours. Rest. What rest looks like for you is different from the person next to you. Brooke and I were talking about this. What's restful? What replenishes us? And we have very different things. We have some things that are similar, but some things that are going to be different for us. Delight. What are the things that cause you to delight in God and his world? I know for Brooke, one of them is the beach. She loves going to the beach and spending time near the water. Maybe it's good food, maybe it's friends, maybe it's a bottle of wine. For me, it's sport. I love sport. Whether playing it or watching it or going to a live sporting event, there's something of delight that comes up in me and, and, and people being physical with their bodies and, and the beautiful game that is sport. And then fourth, contemplate or worship. Spend time contemplating his goodness in, in our life. Worship him. Sabbath is something we will have to fight for in our Western world. It's such a backwards concept from what the normal day in, day out kind of rigmarole looks like. We still get days off, but those are illegitimate Sabbaths. Because like I said, we spend time working, paying bills, running around to commitments. This is something, if we're serious about, we really need to fight for. And I'll finish with Mark 2, 23, 25. Uh, it's actually 23 to 28. I, it's in your worship folders, but. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick heads of grain. Can you just picture this? They're walking through, the, and they're like, you know, maybe they're feeling the grain, and then they just kind of pick it off, you know. 
And the Pharisees, you know, those religious leaders that, that thought that they might have known everything, said to him, look, why are they doing that, that what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Me and my cynicism, I would be like, really? Like, just picking this off? That's considered? I know in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, you know, there's some hotels where if you ride the elevator on the Sabbath, all of the floors open up, you know, so you don't have to push the button, you know? There's some religiosity in this, you know, from the Pharisees. Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus, as well as Jesus speaks, uh, knows how to get people to hear, knows how to respond uh, in ways that are appropriate. So knows that, so he says this, he answered, have you never read that what David, so they, Pharisees heard David, oh, we like that guy. David, he's a good guy. That's, that's our guy, David. Yep. All right. What did David do? Read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abathar the high priest. Ooh, Abathar, also our guy. We like Abathar. Abathar was in with us, with us Pharisees. Yeah, that's fine. We're happy with David. We're happy with Abathar. He entered the house of the God and he ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for the priest to eat. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. He ate the bread. He's the high priest. That's fine. And he also gave some to his companions. Okay, that's not all right. That doesn't fit in with what we believe. And then Jesus responds with this. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. If you don't hear anything that I say about the Sabbath, hear this. See what Jesus does here? He turns the Sabbath from a must-do or a have-to or an ought-to to a get-to. I'll say that again. He turns the Sabbath from a must-do or a have-to or an ought-to to a get-to. We as people get to observe the Sabbath. It is a privilege. It is a joy. It is something good for us to practice. It is good for our souls. In doing my research, I was researching about Seventh-day Adventists who practice the Sabbath religiously. And there are studies about how they live 10 years longer than the average person. This is based in America because of the stress and relief that is taken off of them by having a day where they completely rest. It is good for our souls to sit with God. It is good for our souls to be uh, at peace. It is good for our health to stop. See, in that text, in Mark, we see the Pharisees were worshiping the practice rather than the person the practice was about. It's a get-to for us. It's something that we get to do. So that means, as you're thinking about Sabbath for yourself, maybe you go, I can't commit to, in this season right now, I can't commit to 24 hours. What does four hours look like? as a get-to. 
What does three hours? What does 12 hours? In some ways, I view Sabbath as a holiday every week. It's that taking the pressure off. So because it is a get-to, though, we shouldn't have Sabbath guilt. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's a get-to. It's something that's for our enjoyment. Maybe we miss it on weeks that we don't get to do it, but it is a get-to for us. I'll finish with these two quotes, which I think sum up the Sabbath really well. And then I'll close in prayer. Carrie Newhoff said, If you don't take a Sabbath, the Sabbath will eventually take you. I know that's been true in my life. Times that I've been running really hard. You know, maybe I end up getting sick for a week or a couple of days, you know, like something forces me to stop. And maybe you're wrestling right now and you're going, oh, I just don't know when to fit it in. I got this much work. We got this much on. Wayne Muller says this. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop. Because our work is never completely done. If we refuse rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you made Sabbath, that you made rest for our souls. We thank you that it's moved from a have to or an ought to to something that we get to do. We pray that it's something that we pursue in our lives. And we know that for different seasons it will look different. Maybe you have young kids or old kids or all in between, Lord. We just know that it will look different for different seasons of our lives. But Lord, let us understand the practice, that the practice is about worshiping you and finding rest for our souls in the busyness that this life calls. That to be emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant, we need to slow down the pace of life that we might be running at at the moment. So God, just as each of us kind of consider what that might look like for our own lives, just let us pray into that space and understand your goodness in it all. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.